Hello everybody and welcome to the 50th episode of the DNVR Nuggets' Serbian Corner. Take that online with D-Line. My name is Miroslav Cuk and I finally gave up on the idea that I might play a game for the Nuggets because Kelvin Booth made sure that guys like me, 5'10 with a negative wingspan, are no longer needed on the team. From all of us normal-sized humans, let me say, we miss you, Tim Connolly. Anyway, the Nuggets are the Western Conference champions, and Nikola Jokic has won the first Magic Johnson trophy for the most valuable player of the Western Conference finals, or as everybody refers it, uh, to it as MVPWCF. It's just has a beautiful ring to it. So, are the finals a big deal? Well, kind of. It's the first time in 47 years of Nuggets NBA history. And it feels good now the Clippers are the only old NBA team without a finals appearance. 52 long seasons of mediocrity. I'd like to start this show by apologizing for being a coward when I predicted the Lakers' serious outcome as Nuggets in five. Luckily, no other Nuggets talking heads predicted a sweep, so I can proudly say we are all cowards. You can already say that this show is coming off the rails with my extreme confidence, so to curb my enthusiasm, I've asked a long-time friend of the show to join me today. He is one of the best and most even-keeled general NBA talking heads, host of the splendid podcast called Hardwood Knox. He is a writer for the Bleacher Report, calling from New York, New York. It's Daniel Dan Favali. How the hell are you doing, Dan? I am doing fantabulous. How are you doing? <laughs> I mean, I'm on cloud nine, to be honest. I, I thought I would hate this break between the Western Conference Finals and the Finals. You know, like, that's too long, like, nine days of rest or whatever it, it is. But I'm actually just enjoying being... Uh, you know, uh, in the waves of positive uh, news about the Nuggets. Not really news. It's actually people finally admitting that we are dealing with a really, really great team, just like some of the really smart people already used to say for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you couldn't be with where they're at right now. And the fact, the way, the manner in which they got here is incredible because it's just been decisive. And I mean, like, yeah, okay, like the first round goes six games, whatever. It was just, they were never going to lose that series. And even when they get out to that lead in the Phoenix series and you see Phoenix go back and win those two games, you just never sensed that the Nuggets weren't in control of everything. And they just go and blow the doors off the Lakers in the, the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, games are close, but a sweep in the Conference Finals is is pretty mind-melting. And so this is like them getting here, especially when the knock has always just been can you get here with Nicole Jokic as your best player? And the fact that it dovetailed sort of with that being probably the primary reason he doesn't win MVP, if we're being honest for a third time straight, is just for them, is just picture perfect because it puts to bed just so many, which were already misperceived. I mean, there's skept- there's fair skepticism, in my opinion, and then there's just like what was completely unjust. And a lot of the Jokic discourse, I think, and how good the Nuggets could be with him always not always but skewed too far towards disingenuous too too often so for them to be here amid all that discourse during the season no less where he doesn't win mvp like doesn't get the third time when that's the best team that he's clearly on during that stretch it's just they're going to be able to do so many victory laps already and if they win the title it's just going to be so many more and so it's i don't i mean you should absolutely be enjoying it because myself as I mean, I'm rooting for my own agenda, which was I picked them to win it in the preseason. But as an impartial observer, it's been fun as hell to just watch and to see this team coalesce into something that the entire, the final thing I'll say here, because I'm rambling, is all year it was the NBA. Look at all this parody. There's like no dominant juggernaut. And I think the two candidates were Milwaukee or Denver and something like Boston. And everyone kind of defaulted to Milwaukee or Boston. And it's just like, you know what? Yeah, maybe the Nuggets weren't inevitable. There's a part of them leading into the postseason seem beatable, but like they are the closest thing that we have to a juggernaut this season. And I think that's borne itself out in the playoffs pretty decidedly. Uh, you remember three, four days ago when I called you to, to join me for this show, the main idea behind it was to preview the final series. And that's of course 
impossible because of the slackers from Miami. But we'll try to do that in the last segment. We'll somehow try to, to, to do some kind of preview anyway. But since you already mentioned that you, you are one of the guys that picked the Nuggets to win the, the championship this season, and you shouldn't be ashamed of that. I mean, it's something that, you know, we all try to, to guess it. And when you actually guess it, it just feels wonderful. Just to be uh, uh, completely honest, I picked the Nuggets last season uh, as well because I thought Jamal Murray would come back in February. And I mean, that was probably too brave even in those circumstances. But, you know, I'm a homer. And it was Jokic's age 27 season, like the season when Michael Jordan won his first mm. championship. So I, I wanted those things to align. But 28 is still pretty good if it happens because, you know, LeBron needed 29 to get his first. So, yeah, we should still be on the track. But I'm enough rambling. So tell me, in which ways... Did your perception of the Nuggets change since the end of regular season? Because you, you were already pretty high on them before. Yeah, and look, I and Nuggets fans on our YouTube channel got so mad at me for saying this. I, I read into the last like four to six weeks of the season and was just like, there's something off here. I don't think this is just them conserving themselves and then flipping a switch. And I was clearly wrong about that. And I think that's sort of the biggest thing I learned is that when they're going to shorten the rotation even further, that they're just going to be able to flip specifically the defensive switch. And even just like, I don't want to get too into Jamal Murray because I know we're going to talk about him, but just like the shot making, he shoots 37% on fadeaway jumpers during the regular season. He's at like 47% in the playoffs. And so there's, there's, there's nuance to the flip that they're switching. And I think the, the one that you focus on, at least for me is of course the defense. It's great that they had like, after it was like over the final 50 plus games, they were like seventh or eighth in points allowed per possession, whatever it was. That's great. But there was always the level of questioning, hey, could this work in the postseason? And guess what? It's working in the postseason. They haven't been the most elite defense, but I think there's a steadiness to the way they defend. And you look at everything from how aggressive they've used Jokic to even like his rim protection has been better. The rim protection they've gotten from Aaron Gordon in addition to everything else he's doing defensively. Michael Porter Jr. has been, I just even watching him improve the past two years, whatever it's been on defense to where, okay, anyone who thought he was just this sieve, that's not what he was. Even what we're seeing now is just his defensive rebounding rate has skyrocketed in the playoffs. And so to see them be able, we're going to shrink this down. Our top guys are going to ratchet it up. And like, yeah, our defense isn't just going to hold serve, but like it's going to be steady across all of these different type of situations, all these different type of opponents. And there are going to be nights where it kind of verges on dominant. And so that to me was the biggest proving ground for them. It wasn't just a Jokic thing. It was on paper. You could kind of see it with Aaron Gordon and KCP and Bruce Brown. We were always going to need Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Because they're so important to you offensively. Can they hold their own on that end of the floor? And we've seen it from Jamal Murray in the past. I thought he had a pretty good uh, defensive series in the Western Conference Finals. I thought he did a better job against Austin Reeves um, than a lot of people have done this playoffs. Uh, but Michael Porter Jr., just beginning with the, you know, during the Timberwolves series for sure, but like beginning with the Sun series, just really like there are games where it doesn't even feel like he's he's not shooting well, doesn't feel like he's having a huge offensive impact, but you almost want him on the floor. It's like, look at what he's doing defensively. Look at what he's doing on the glass. And I think that was a fair question to have coming into the postseason. They've just, they've answered it in the affirmative. And that's, it's not, again, it's not just the Jokic stuff. It's just trickling down to everything else. Can they get by with certain bench heavier units and there i think there are still things you could quibble about with how they run those lineups but they've just been they've answered every single doubt that people could have possibly had about them um in not just sort of like a fringe way but in just like this flat out really convincing way uh, early this season i declared that the nuggets have seven starter level players and you know it's the actual starters plus bruce brown and jeff green now Jeff is, you know, the subject of most debates for the Nuggets fans and analysts, like whether he is a positive or a negative contributor. I think it, he he was a positive one uh, on average for sure in these playoffs. But those seven guys actually played all the minutes in that game four against the Lakers, the, the closing game four against the Lakers. And that completed the first sweep in the history of, of Nuggets playoffs. So my question here is, 
is the mathematical average of talent of these seven guys the reason they are now viewed as the best team in the league, not to mention a pretty massive favorite to win the finals? Or is it more the complementary skill of these guys that actually pushes them on top as a group, meaning that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts? That's a really interesting and hard question because Nikola Jokic is no worse than like the second. He's, he's the best player in the NBA, probably, but he's no worse than, if you want to have a discussion about it, second or third. So you have a megastar, an all-time great megastar on your hands. And he is the central nervous system for everything that you do. At the same time, you have someone in Murray who we've seen a star turn in the playoffs from him before. And you have this group of guys where the level that Michael Porter Jr. can get to when he's really incandescent on offense, like we're talking about like th- that's a guy who can look like one of the, the best offensive players in history, basically certainly one of the most efficient on any given night. I think ultimately it's a, the sum is more than like, or the, however you phrase it, I'm stumbling through my words there, mostly because the way that Jokic elevates everybody and the way that he's able to fit into this larger ecosystem that yes, he is the basis for it. But like, he's also not like, there are moments where it's like, okay, like Jamal Murray's like going to go out and he's going to take like a step, like maybe Jokic hands it off to him, but like, he's going to let Murray cook and he's going to figure out ways to not just find guys, but do things with, without the ball, grab defensive rebounds, throw those outlet passes. And so there's, there's something more profound to them than just the talent on their roster. And I think the biggest indicator would be if you put, and I mean, we've seen all these guys on different teams, but if you put Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., who we've obviously not seen on a different team, Aaron Gordon. We saw what Aaron Aaron Gordon's probably the, the most salient evidence. We saw what he was like in Orlando. Now you put him into this role where he's not as ball dominant. There were points in the regular season where he needed to be, and certainly when Murray was injured and MPJ missed time last year. But like you put him into this ecosystem and he just thrives on offense. Yeah, he can still be too hesitant to shoot threes, but like his cutting, it's just never seen anything like it um, in Orlando. And it's okay, well, is that a function of Orlando didn't have enough space or is it because of what the nuggets are doing? It's probably a combination of both, but it's more of what just the nuggets are doing and who Nikola Jokic is and the ability to play off a Murray or have a leverage, a threat like a, a Michael Porter jr. So it's a, it's, I I think they're, the sum is, is greater than the, the whole of their parts or ever. I don't even know why that phrase is tripping me up right now. We've heard it like a trillion times. So I apologize there. I had to Google it and then write it down on a piece of paper, just not to mess it up. Because I don't know, it's it's kind of a dodgy to me as well. Uh, one interesting thing throughout this season, we've seen some really bad minutes without Nikola Jokic, and it's usually related to the backup five. We've seen DeAndre Jordan there, we've seen Zeke Nagy, we've seen uh, Thomas Bryant, we've seen you know Vladko Chancha, different kinds of guys uh, trying to to play the backup five behind Jokic. And we've never seen Aaron Gordon or maybe a couple of minutes during the whole of regular season. And we were all screaming like from the Twitter and from the social networks, come on, Michael Malone, play Aaron Gordon in the backup five. And you know what? I think he's just laughing out loud like, you dumb bastards. You really thought I didn't know that was the best solution for the team. I just didn't want to show it to anybody or to stress out Aaron too much during the regular season. It was really a, a, a long game they've played for those last six weeks. And honestly, nobody, not you, nobody knew what the hell were they doing, really. It's just, it, now it looks in, in hindsight like, like a perfect long game from them. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, to the Jeff Green point, I'd probably push back thinking that he's a starter level player. But like just having him on the floor... As someone who, yeah, do you trust him to hit the three ball? Probably not, but you can play five out with him and you can move him around defensively. And there's been like the unit that I think we saw more of, at least I didn't see a ton of it during the regular season, where they skew just like really heavy into defense around Murray or Michael Porter Jr.'s thing, get two of their top offensive players rest at once. Like that was effective in part because of the way that you can use Jeff Green. And so I do think that he is um, certainly a useful player. And yeah, like the looks that they can go to, now, if they're trusting the Aaron Gordon at the five minutes, and certainly look, you consider the opponents they're about to they could go up against, and Boston will sometimes play dual bigs, but Joe Mazzulla has been a little bit weird about that at points. Um, but the Heat specifically, where it's like sometimes Bam is the biggest player on the court, got uh, court at six nine for them, and it's 
you can do a lot of different things. And also, even if it's Cody Zeller or even Kevin Love, I think it's like you're that's not going to intimidate or ch I should say change significantly the way that you're going to run your lineups. And so I do think there's more utility for them in that secondary front court. Um, even if overall, if you like, you really want to go big picture, like, yeah, when DeAndre Jordan and Thomas Bryant are like your best backup center options after a Jeff Green or Aaron Gordon, or because you don't want to play Zeke Naji, and I know he was injured at, at one point, but they were touting him as like a prodigy in training camp. Like, and I just, uh, but yeah, I think that they're in a really good spot there for sure. Or at least better than we expected, I would say. Okay, we need to save some of these takes for the, our next segment. We're going to take a short commercial break, or as we used to call it in former Yugoslavia, let's listen to these economic propaganda messages. And I swear to God, I did not make that up. Okay, we're back. It is interesting to me how even before the finals are set to begin, a very large number of NBA analysts, and I guess that doesn't include you because of what you said just like a couple of minutes ago, are now giving Jokic the crown of the best player in the NBA. You're still like on the on the on the fence or giving uh, giving it like a chance for a discussion, which is which is fair, of course. Almost all of the hard hitters are out of playoffs. The players, I mean. Luca didn't even qualify. Yanis got eliminated in the first round. Embiid, KD, Booker, Steph, they were all gone in the second round. Only Tatum, AD, LeBron got to the conference finals. Uh, and, you know, the last two got swept by, by Jokic in those finals. Now, I didn't mention Jimmy Butler because I have no idea how to rank him. I mean, mm. he, he could be top 10, he could be top 20 guy in the regular season, but he just plays a different kind of sport when, when it comes to playoffs. So it's really hard for me to gauge what, what is his actual ranking should be, I guess. So uh, is it that simple? Is it just the fact that Jokic is the only superstar still standing? Or is there something else most people saw to just say, okay, we're, we're done here. Let, let's, this is our new king. I, I really think as we've already talked about it, and I, I guess at least nationally, I think it's the fact that I guess you can boil it down to he's still around, but like just look at not where they are, not just where they are, but the level or the, I don't want to say the ease, but like the way in which they got here, where it's you just swept the Lakers, where you gave it to the, you really gave it to the Suns by the end of that series. And yes, they were missing Chris Paul and DeAndre Aiden in that final game, but like you were giving it to them at the beginning of the series as well. And so to do all that and him be, you know, I know there were some people that wanted Jamal Murray to win the Western Conference Finals MVP uh, award, but like to have him just be the the center of that universe is just it becomes that was the last thing, and it was more anecdotal than anything that actually related to his performance. And that was the thing that I think frustrated me most was when people said it, Jokic needs to prove it in the playoffs, and it's I don't know what you're asking him to prove. It's nothing to do with his actual performance. Like his numbers have they've been just as good, if not even better than most regular seasons when he's been in the playoffs. He just hasn't had the necessary firepower around him because of injuries. It's not making excuses. It's just a fact. You remove the top two offensive players from any team and tell them to go into the playoffs. They're, they're not going to be supposed to make it that far. I think it's more so people kind of coming on to, you know, my co-host Grant mentioned this the other day is that we're anyone who didn't have him here, or at least in the discussion is late to the party. And it's not just, oh, Jokic is now this. It's, well, hell, we might need to just recalibrate and relitigate the past three years because the, the numbers, the, the, the advanced numbers, the catch-all metrics, the actual just individual numbers, they've been telling us for years that he's the best player in the regular season. But everyone just assumed it couldn't happen in the playoffs. And it's happening. Not only has Jokic done it in the playoffs on an individual level, now it's you've reached that level of team success where if that's important to you, because I feel like Giannis wasn't really crowned until uh, the Bucs won the title. And then even Devin Booker, when they made that first, when they made that finals run in, what was that 2021? Yeah. Like people were reluctant to call him an all NBA type player or, or top, like put him in the top 10 conversation. And so I, I, I just honestly think, and this is sometimes to a detriment that people need to see players once they're super high profile, once they're in the MVP discussion, 
they need to win their conference, make it out of their conference, flirt, come within striking distance of winning the championship, if not outright get it before they're willing to go there. And I do think that's a that's a flaw in our discourse for sure. Yeah, I guess that's the reason why Boston Celtics kind of always are in the mix for for biggest favorites every season because you know they usually will come to the finals or at least uh, Eastern Conference finals and that consistency they they always always had even I mean I don't know I don't know how you feel about uh, we can speak about it more in the fourth segment but Boston Celtics have been a pretty inconsistent team throughout this season and especially during these playoffs but somehow everybody feels yeah but we've seen it already I mean we know they they got it and on the other side you have Denver Nuggets and let's just pretend that there's no Jamal Murray for two playoff runs and like imagine Michael Jordan without without Scottie Pippen for 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 two whole playoff runs I mean it would be kind of harder for him to 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 win it all in in those seasons right Yeah. I mean, like that was, I can't believe that people sort of just overlooked that. Like it was just, it's not something that you could just gloss over. Let's just say you were super low on MPJ. We saw as like Jamal Murray, I tweeted this like a week or two ago, his peaks and valleys require Dramamine. Even in games that he's won them, there's been moments in those same games where it feels like he's going to lose it for them. But like we've seen him in the bubble. We've seen him, even that first ever playoff series he had against the Spurs, I think it was. When he was up and down, like he won them games. And we know how important he is to what they do. You can't just write that off and be like, well, Jokic didn't make it to the conference finals during that span. Like, yeah, no crap. Like he didn't make it there. Uh, so I'm totally with you. That was always a, again, and it's not even to say everyone needs to conform how we feel to how we feel about Jokic specifically, but your criticisms need to be like not disingenuous is just how it framed. And like, that was just a very, I thought lazy talking point where even if you didn't watch the nuggets. You can understand, Hey, they're they're Again, throw Michael Porter. Jr. There's second best player missed two critical playoff runs. No, the nuggets were not going to get to the NBA finals during that span. I know it's a shocker, but <laughs> <laughs> complete shock, complete, like, like take, take 50 points off the board or 45 points off the board and, and see what happens. Okay, the most interesting storyline for me right now is Jamal Murray. He is averaging 28, 5.5 rebounds, 6 assists on 48, 40, 92 shooting splits in 15 playoff games. Now, that's not a small sample anymore. And it actually includes some subpar or better said uh, subpar games or better said, subpar halves of games he's had, you know, sprinkled around these playoffs. He is right now on the on the list of uh, points per game in playoffs, the fourth guy still standing, like after Jokic, Jimmy, and, and Tatum. And his playmaking has never been this good. Mm. You know, granted, he's mostly looking for Jokic. This is one part I would like him to to improve further on, like include everybody. But I'm just, you know, I'm just being an asshole right now with, with Jamal having uh, playoff uh, performances so far, like he has. <clears throat> Are we going to have Jamal in the top 10 lists this summer? Do you think there's a chance for that? Uh, no, I, I honestly don't. I mean, you're the names that he would have to leapfrog here when you're looking at Jokic being in the top 10 for sure. Giannis, Steph, Kevin Rand is still going to be there. Uh, Jimmy Butler, I think, is certainly going to be in that discussion. Jason Tatum, you already mentioned him. Um, I just like Damian Lillard still going to be there. Uh, I think I said Steph Curry already. Like Joel Embiid is going to be in that. Like, And we're already at eight names. And it's like, so who else is he going to really beat out? And you have to start asking some tough questions where it's right. Does he get in like top 20, top 15 territory? I guess depending on if he has like this epic finals run sure but i'd be shocked if um he gets sort of the i'll call it the devin booker bump because devin booker was like it was it was a little bit different because he was considered this the central focus point for everything that denver was doing uh but there's no denying that there's like a a different level for jamal murray in the playoffs that we see like i mean and even we've seen him hit big shots in the regular season but he's hit so many big shots in the playoffs and 
uh, you mentioned everything about him. I would totally agree with you. And just the, the ability to be a great bailout option, like it's just late in the shot clock. And that's just someone you could trust to like get to a step back or fly around, you know, make a center cut and just fly around beyond the arc and hit something that's ridiculously difficult. That's hugely valuable. And I don't even know where I would have him in player rankings, but I would think, you know, top 20, top 25 seems feasible. But when you're pushing into the top 10 to 15, uh, if we just sat here and started, I mean, like Le- LeBron and AD are still going to be in those discussions too. And are you taking Jamal Murray over like any one of the guys that we've just listed yet? Um, maybe you get to a point where it's like, all right, well, we're taking him over Kawhi Leonard because the durability factor, even though Murray just missed a bunch of time, like what's going to go on with Kawhi. But that's someone who's going to be involved in those discussions too. Um, just like, do you prefer Jamal Murray to Trey Young? Like those are going to be actual, I'm not even just saying, okay, Trey Young's a mile, uh, light years better than Jamal Murray, but like those are, you have to get into like those types of debates. And I think it's going to be tough for him to be because he's working from this deficit already. Um, where Jokic was at the point where there was like, okay, it's him against kind of four guys for the top spot or whatever it might be with Murray. If you're trying to get in the top 10, 15 area, you're probably talking about like 10 or 15 people that he's going to go up against. And I just, I think it's, you know, I think that's, I would say if you consider Murray top 10 or 15 right now, I would say that that's pretty spicy respectfully. I think you're completely right. Because you're very consistent when when you talk about things like this. Because throughout the regular season, you take what we get from it and you compile it. You you are making a spreadsheet in your head just to to see who should be on top of uh, who. On the other hand, we have this culture of talking about regular season like it's nothing. Like, the West is wide open. F the top seeds. We have six seed and seven seed who are better than anybody in the West. Look at uh, look at Miami out east. He's, they're the eight seed. Well, they're actually a seven seed that fall down to eight seed. Those guys are on the, on the, on the verge of going to the finals. And if we have that kind of conversation, and I'm, I'm not saying you're having that kind of conversation, mm-hmm. you are really even killed about those things. But when we we have those kinds of uh, takes throughout the season, and then we get a Jamal, as I said, averaging 28 on 50, 40, 90 in the playoffs, while Joel Embiid is averaging like 20 points, like like 14 points less than what he was averaging in the regular season then I guess I would expect from the hot takey crowd that's, you know, kind of a majority right now in the big media, at least, that they would be willing to take him above some of the guys who are undoubtedly better players throughout the course of the whole season. But this is, this is the reason why I wanted to, to ask you this. Because, you know, in the regular season, honestly, Jamal, like top 30 guy, 35 mm-hmm. guy that's 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 always fair fair to say it but we'll see we'll see we'll talk again in a couple of months <laughs> we'll see what happens he's okay. definitely got the jimmy butler playoff bump in him where it's butler can be really he's better than jamal murray is during the regular season i think uh but there's like he's a different type of player especially from the perimeter in the playoffs and jamal murray kind of has like that again there's there's like inconsistent pockets within his very consistent detonative performances but it's just it's different the jamal murray experience is materially different in the postseason yes it's interesting when you were uh, mentioning the guys that should be you know above jamal you haven't mentioned um, jimmy at all <laughs> and and that i didn't mention luca either and i think that's a pretty clear one that you have to put in front of jamal murray as well so you, you think it was a mistake or did you do it on I just listing names off the spot. I mean, it's when you're talking about top 10, I was trying to name top 10 guys. Like I think Embiid, Luca, Tatum, Giannis, Jokic, Durant are all still consensus top 10 guys. And then there's like, you could have conversations about Dame and Jimmy Butler getting in there. And so, but there's like, I think there's like six or eight players right now that are just consensus irrefutable top 10 players, which is also why it makes it so uh, difficult to uh, crack that. I mean, it's top 10 is top 10. Like top 10 is best player on a championship team territory. If you're top 10, that's what you're considered. 
And do we think that Jamal Murray can be the best player on a championship team? Like that's when you have to start asking these, he doesn't need to be. There are nights when it looks like he is as a scorer, but you also have to consider how much Jokic opens up for him and just everybody else in his orbit. So it's look during the postseason. If you were looking at just the playoffs, like I mean, maybe there'd be a case for that, but it's a, uh, I'd be curious to see like, you know, if he ever wanted to reach that territory for me, like we're going to need to see, it doesn't have to be this where he's averaging like 30 and hitting 50% of his twos. And you know, he's hitting like 39% of his off the dribble threes. It doesn't have to be that every single night, but like, that's the level he's going to have to maintain for, for higher. And I think even I'm seeing the comments, like he's just top 10 in the playoffs, not the regular season. I even think that's just a little too dismissive to where it's like, okay, like let's go through. Are we just all of a sudden going to say Devin Booker's not top 10 in the playoffs or Kevin Durant's not top 10 in the playoffs You're You have to kick, people out and i think what would help him is okay there's some top 10 players who just weren't in the playoffs like a damian lillard not in the playoffs this year was even top 10 but it's that's a tough field to crack and uh i would just say that he has been transcendent for extended stretches when it matters most and ultimately that's really all that matters for the nuggets purposes oh he, he actually yeah i agree with that he was actually i i believe top five in these playoffs but you know if you if you're trying to to stretch it to to several playoffs uh, runs in the last several years, of course he didn't have the the playing time to show you know in the last couple of seasons. But I do believe that that what he has been doing was more impressive, uh, for instance, than what uh, you know Anthony every other Davis did uh, did in these playoffs, like having some really awesome games, but then just wouldn't be showing up the next time. I guess it's kind of fair to say something like that about Jamal as well, but it's always hard when you're the second guy to be consistently awesome every night. So this is why I, I agree with your take that it's really hard to be a top 10 guy if you're not you know, the, the best guy on your own, own team. Okay, it's time to, to take uh, one sh- more short break. Don't go anyway. We'll soon be talking about the finals as well. All right, we are back. Now, then, we know MPJ is a really good rebounder. You mentioned that. Especially when he plays at the four, and he's had some minutes at the four in these playoffs. But if I told you six months ago that MPJ would be a plus defender in these playoffs, would you think I was drunk? Or would you think I'm drunk now for saying that? No, you're definitely not drunk now. Uh, I don't. Six months ago, I probably would have just. I would assume that you that was a little bit on the ambitious end, like maybe net neutral, because it feels like he's kind of like the way Jamal Murray can be on offense. Like Michael Porter Jr. feels like that defensively, where he can be inconsistent. But there's been incremental, if not like really measurable, improvement from him over the past two years or so. And I think even if you believe that he was going to be a good defender in these playoffs by those expectations. He succeeded it. I think he's just been, I mean, and I keep a lot of the moments in that Phoenix series specifically where it's like, okay, he was matched up on Kevin Durant a couple times and did not get absolutely roasted. And like, you know, I know Kevin Durant's older, like that's still, that's not easy. And the way that they like to defend at points in the half court, it's been prided upon him just being a lot better, smarter, consistent, and he's done it all for them. And again, I know he has the size, like to just be like, Hey, you need to raise your defensive rebounding rate by eight points, like by almost 50% of what it was during the regular season. That's not something that just happens. And so he's, he's, he's been more consistent defensively than he's actually been offensively for a lot of these playoffs, which if you would have framed it that way to me, I would have been like, no, you're out of your mind. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying his story arc so much. It's, it's one of those compelling stories. Some, some writers don't think exist on the Nuggets. Uh, MPJ going through three back surgeries, going through, you know, halls of doubters, including me. I was really, I was really afraid nothing would get from him because, you know, he's had an awesome high school run playing for a coach that's not a professional coach. And then he got to the, to the to college 
and he got hurt, so he had like three games in college or something like that. And then he got a red shirt year after that. And then he played for a couple of years and then he missed a year and, and so on and so forth. Three three back surgeries. And to pile on that all that on a on a fragile young body of Michael Porter and for him to just go above everything and, and become really a like a hundred percentile of what the Nuggets needed from him for these particular playoffs. Maybe not for next playoffs. Maybe they, they would need something more from him offense-wise. But when you think about it, he's just a huge body playing really, really good defense, positional defense. And it's just, just, just the best story for me. Yeah, and it's he ended up in what feels like the perfect situation because they didn't they didn't rush him, but they also didn't need to rush him. Where it was like I think he was afforded some flexibility too because once you lost Murray for that time span, I was like, okay, well this window is whatever we are, it's not going to be a champion. Like it's just not, it's not going to happen. But to be in a place like they didn't need you to come in and be the guy right away. And look, we've seen his limitations. They they probably could develop him more on ball, but we've also seen like him on ball and it hasn't always looked great. And so if he's somewhere else, that would have needed him to do more on the ball from the get-go, what does that look like? And then his availability is all over the place. Would other teams have been impatient with him before sort of before sort of cutting the cord? And you, look, you mentioned this when I saw the question about, is this the 100th percentile outcome for Michael Porter Jr.? Maybe on defense, but it's not even close to the 100th percentile player because of like the offensive gaps in his game still to where he hasn't, he's shooting like 30% from mid-range and he's not shooting too, too good on just who's in the paint, but outside the restricted area. And those are shots we've seen him hit during the regular season. And it feels like he's had more of these, like, oh, was he just, like, four of, like, 13 or whatever? Like, it feels like there were more of those nights caked in. Is there If there just becomes a point where, like, he's just this good on defense, and then he's what he was during the regular season on offense, and it's like, well, man, we're not talking about, like, the Nuggets is in the same vein as we even are right now. It's just if you're looking for a way that, you know, there's going to be questions about Bruce Brown's free agency, but if you're already scaling ahead, it's like, well, what does this team look like next year? Is this a team that can repeatedly come back to this level? Michael Porter Jr., I wouldn't say he's the key because it's clear the Nuggets are capable of sustaining this level, but the fact that he's not a finished product or like we haven't seen maybe the final form of Michael Porter Jr. just yet is actually kind of terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he does have, you know, uh, hints of Kevin Durant in him, but more realistically, he could be like a super tall version of Clay Thompson, and that that would be really, really. His passing really is more awesome. Clay Thompson esque than Kevin Durant, yeah, that's for sure. So if he could get the ball moving a little bit more, then we can talk about more ambitious comparisons. Hey, did, he did have a six assist game the other. That's night, true. So. That was that was like his the weirdest stat line I think that he's ever had. And there was, <laughs> I tweeted about this at the time. I don't remember what game in Phoenix it was. Was it against Phoenix? Was it game two? I mean, but I think honestly, you Nuggets fans have seen way more. I think it was the best defensive game I've ever seen him play of his career. I was just, I came away floored and just impressed beyond any measure that I've ever been by anything he's done defensively. It was just, and the fact that we're talking about that now, and it's like, well, they could really use a little bit more from him on offense. <laughs> like talk about generational one eighties, because that was just not what you ever thought was going to be the issue with him. Okay, let's talk a bit about the Aaron Gordon, KCP, Bruce Brown trio, or as I like to call them, the grown-ups in the locker room. So all of these guys have had similar contributions to the Nuggets in the postseason. Neither of them jumped off the screen in all of the games, but I think it's safe to say that at least two of them made a huge impact in all of the games. So for instance, AG had a pretty rough first three games on offense versus the Lakers, but should be credited for a metric ton of fatigue he had put on LeBron's and AD's yeah. backs. But in that closeout game four, he was huge on offense again. Then KCP, he will not shoot the lights out every night. You know, heck, some nights he won't even shoot. But when he's locked in and, and shooting everything go that goes his ways, it's just curtains. Like if you get 25 points from, from KCP, what you're going to do about the Nuggets? And then you have, you know, Bruce Brown who who earned the taking care of three generations kind of contract guarding and Edwards, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, 
even LeBron James at times. And on the other side, he was just ripping the rims off. So, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot here because I don't know you, you expected this question. Is this the best, the best uh, role player trio of these playoffs? There's a case, I still think, and I know that they they were down 3-0 at one point, but like when you look at the role players that Boston has, like you could just take your pick and like Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon and RW3 or is Al Horford in that one, like between those four guys, it feels like they would have a case. Uh, but I think you could certainly make like you could you could make that case for sure. I mean, it's, the answer is not in Phoenix. It's not in Milwaukee. Miami's had some impressive runs, but like if we care about sustainability and like reputation, like, no, it's it's not Miami at all. So I think some people would have made a case for the Knicks coming in, but like you get bounced right away from there. So in terms of top end role players, like to have those three, um, when you look at the Nuggets top six players, they have a case to be like, this might be collectively just the most talented top six in the league. And I'm honestly thinking Boston is probably the only team that lays a claim that I know some people might want Milwaukee in there, but like once you get past their fourth best player, like things start to taper off for them. Uh, the Warriors just, they didn't have it this year. Like you can't go, they can't go six deep the way that the the Nuggets go six deep right now. And so, yeah, there's certainly a case to be made there. These guys are always on, on point. Sometimes somebody will be better than them. I mean, you know, KCP will be guarding Devin Booker and he will still score like 20 out of 25 shots. It's just Devin Booker. I mean, there's nothing you can do if Devin Booker is that hot. But I never have a feeling that this guy didn't do everything he was supposed to do to stop that. It's just it was it was that kind of that kind of situation. You mentioned Miami and his role players. Their their role players. I I I feel like they've they've used like twelve different role players in these playoffs. Like Haywood Highsmith <laughs> the other night just goes off. Like just and Kayla Martin's been spectacular. It's just. There's, I think if you polled people in that organization, they would be absolutely flabbergasted that flabbergasted that they came within one win of making the finals and might actually go to the finals. There's no one, Jimmy Butler himself would probably lie about it. There's no way he expected this team. There's just, there's no way. But you look at Duncan Robinson back in the rotation and dribbling. Like that's, come on. And then Max Drews kind of regains his form. I think he's been better defensively during these playoffs than he's a lot of the time. Kyle Lowry hasn't been so hot lately for them, but like he was coming off the bench and he looked really impactful and he had been up and down during the regular season. So they they're deep, but it's like, it's disarming depth and it's not high end depth. It's just, Oh, these guys feel like they're playing above their heads type of depth. And I mentioned earlier and I forgot to, to follow up on that, that the non Jokic minutes have been pretty good in these playoffs, sometimes really good. And it's because Denver was just playing awesome defense with Aaron Gordon at the five and and let's say Uncle Jeff at the four and Bruce Brown at the three and um, Christian Brown at the two, something like that. So they have been able to guard and run, guard and run. And that, that worked really, really well for them. And, you know, these three guys we're talking about right now is just the fulcrum of, of, of that kind of... I, I, I also kind of think of them like the second core of the Nuggets. Like you have the core three guys mm-hmm. in your starting lineup, but then you have these three guys that will rip your head off when you're playing against the, the second units. Okay, it is time for our last commercial break and then we'll finally try to talk a bit about the finals. Okay, final segment for today, the NBA Finals preview. And we have no idea who will be the other team in the finals. Before we try to dissect those teams a bit, who, what do you expect to happen in game six tonight, like three hours from now? Uh, I picked the Heat, just like the law of, it's not even averages, but just the law of winning against the same team four times in the playoffs has so far been impossible when you're down 3-0. But even when we're talking about like the Nuggets sweeping the Lakers, like that's just something that's so rare to beat the same team four times in a row. And I think that 
you use the word inconsistent with Boston. And I've, you know, we talk about this a lot at Hardwood Knox. There's a variability in their performance as dominant as they can be. Part of it's because they rely on the three so much. And there are going to be nights where you're going to make a lot of threes because you take a lot of threes. It'll be nights when you miss a lot of threes. You take a lot of threes. But they go through these spurts where it's just they decide to not attack. If the three ball's not falling, they turn the ball over like wild fire. And I just believe that one time over these final four games, that's going to happen again. And so I would expect it to be the heat, which is to jump ahead to one of your questions. I, that should be the preferred target for Denver. It's one, you, your short home court advantage. And just to know that you would have a game seven on your home court. I, th- I think that ma- especially for Denver, I think that matters a ton. Um, but just when you look at the different things that Boston can throw at them defensively, yeah, you can talk about their inconsistencies there as well, where they're not always switching and sometimes it's to their detriment, but it's also kind of like the finals are not going to be where they were super inconsistent. It's the Warriors really played a big part in forcing turnovers last year that kind of sent Boston in that downward spiral. And Jason Tatum, and I will say this, he hasn't always had the best playoffs, but his ability now to either get to the foul line or really just slice through defenses and go to the cup when he doesn't have like the three ball working He's a different player. And so I would just be, I don't think the Nuggets should be scared of either of these teams. But if if you're just, okay, which team are we more likely to beat or less likely to beat? If you want to frame it that, like who's the tougher opponent? I think it's despite what we've seen at the start of the Eastern Conference Finals, Boston's a much tougher matchup. Okay, let's then start with the, the Miami. That's, you know, they're just the most more probable opponent because there are only three possible outcomes from these two potential two games in the Eastern Conference Finals. It's either Miami winning now or winning game seven and that then there's the third outcome of of Boston winning both of those games. What's what's one thing that Denver Nuggets should be most afraid of in case of playing against Miami Heat? Is, Is there small lineup a, a challenge for for Denver defensively or is, I, is it something else I think it could no I think that's actually a great way to look at it I think it could be um because the way that Caleb Martin is able to move and then when you look at some of those other smaller lineups I mean the health of Gabe Vincent certainly matters but if you have you know let's say Caleb Martin on the floor with one of Duncan Robinson or Max Struess and they're flying around that becomes a very difficult defense to defend. And then you're going to have Nikola Jokic involved in just even more actions by virtue of Jimmy, Jimmy Butler is going to make it happen because that's what Jimmy Butler will do. But also because of the way that they run the offense through bam, where it's, you know, Jokic hasn't had to face that type of big yet. Like you're not funneling the offense through Gobert. You don't even funnel it through towns. Uh, you certainly don't funnel it through Anthony Davis. And if you do, it's just like they very rarely, like, is he going downhill? Like he's looking to really like it's happening on the perimeter. So I think that becomes more of it. And like, those are guys, none of the names that I'm mentioning, like those aren't guys, DeAndre, and they're not bringing the ball up the floor. Bam Adebayo will bring the ball up the floor after a live ball. And so then, you know, matching up, cross-matching, like that stuff becomes a lot more important. And so, yeah, I'd absolutely look out for that. The other thing that I think you could say, and I just, it's Denver and they don't turn the ball over. So I'm not saying that this is a problem that Denver has, but the way that the Miami Heat can really get into you and force turnovers and then turn those into if they're not transition points, they're early offense points. Um, that's kind of terrifying. And so like, that's a battle where the nuggets defensively, they don't force a ton of turnovers themselves, but if Miami, which is a team that will look to do that is able to decisively or handedly win that battle. Um, the nuggets are best defensively, like when they're making their shots and they have a chance to get their defense set. If they're turning the ball over um, their offense, I think it's been better in transition in those situations, maybe than it was during the regular season. Like I said, there's a steadiness to it. Those are the two things that I probably fear the most. And I'm only naming the second one because I don't just want to ride your coattails the entire time. I'm not going to pretend here that we are as smart as Coach Spo to try to guess, you know, his rotations against the Nuggets because, you know, Nikola Jokic is a, is a fucking problem on offense. And I don't know if he would be brave enough, you know, to play small ball against him. I mean, is Bama the bio your help defender and then you put Jimmy on on Jokic? What would be the best kind of thing they could do defensively against Jokic? You know, similar to what uh, what the Lakers tried with LeBron on Jokic and then AD. I uh, 
I wouldn't do that. Like, I would probably just go straight up with Bam because like he's not the best like rim protector anyway, like in the same way that Anthony Davis is. And so I'll rely on my Jimmy Butlers and Caleb Martins and like my other guys to help from there. Uh, that's and look, there's no I get asked this. We've gotten asked this question. I think it was in a mailbag that I haven't published yet was how do you stop Nicole Jokic? And it's you you pray like there's no there is no it doesn't matter who it is. I think, though, if you were to build a player in a lab in theory that you want defending Jokic, it's probably either Giannis, Anthony Davis or Bam. And so I'm going to play that. I know what the Lakers did um, and they had like it was LeBron. I mean, he was injured with the foot, but like, he's like a bigger body where Jimmy's strong, but he's not that big. And like, you're going to look, Jimmy's going to need to pitch in with Michael Porter jr. And, and Jamal Murray. And it's so like, you pull Jimmy Butler off that assignment. Like you're asking a lot of Gabe Vincent in that scenario, let's say, or, or Kyle Lowry or Caleb Martin as well. Um, so they will vary it up. They'll play a lot of zone too, because that's what they do. But the nuggets are built to bust that up. And it's like you said, I coach Bo has forgotten more about basketball in the five seconds that, that I just said that than I will ever know about and the stuff that he busts out and it's things that I won't notice in real time necessarily because I can't read the game that quickly but if you go back and watch or even if you sense it after a few possessions it's like well crap like this like he might I I'd be you're definitely more worried about him than Joe Missoula but the talent level and we've seen it these past two games like there's just such a disparity between once you get past Bam and Jimmy Butler and I guess Kayla Martin who's playing like if there was an all NBA playoff team, like Caleb Martin might make it. That's how good he's been. Uh, there's just such a stark drop off. And so the Nuggets top six guys put against the Heat's top six guys. It's just B Boston is the bigger fear for me. And they, they could be because they have all those, you know, we're mentioning looking at the questions that we're asking about Bam and Jimmy Butler and Jokic. The Celtics can more easily answer that because like, well, do we throw Al Horford on Jokic or do we try it with, do we try and get away with Tatum? And then we just have RW three or Horford helping back, like coming off of guys. And I think you'd probably go, you're going to try and play big a lot would be my guess. And that you're going to have RW three being how they use him normally. And then you're going to have Horford on Jokic. And so while Bam is the more imposing defender, the options that are just around in Boston and looking to the, forget about Jokic. Like I said, there's just, you put anyone on Jokic. I'm not going to think that he's going to have a bad game. Who, who does more? Which team is going to do more to neutralize the other threats or to neutralize the threats that Jokic creates for everybody else? And I still think that's very clearly would be would be Boston between Derek White, uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Marcus Smart. Like those are really strong defensive players, and they're built to mess things up away from off the ball, and they can switch a, a bunch of all these different actions. And so maybe you feel worse about you know Coach Bo is clearly the better coach, but. I think from a talent perspective, it's just not even close for me. Since we already, you know, uh, moved towards Boston, my question about them is, do you think that their kind of offense can match match up with, with Denver's offense? Miami's? Uh, sorry, uh, Boston's, Boston's. I was going to say, Miami's doesn't have a chance. That's oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with that. Yeah, but, but what, what about Boston's? I mean... I, I admittedly I don't watch every Boston game. Like I, I probably haven't watched more than 10 games of Boston this this year. But it always looked a bit choppy to me. Like, you know, if one of the two guys has a great night, the, the other one has a bit of a, a slower night and vice versa. Or even if they're both on, they're usually okay, I'm on now and you'll be on in three minutes and stuff like that. Comparing to to what the Nuggets do in these playoffs, and that's like Jokic Murray pick and roll, and then sprinkled in all of the little actions with the other guys that that actually makes them like Nuggets had like 125 offensive rating against the Lakers in that series with Jokic on court. Like they were the best defense of the playoffs before that series. Now they're like third or fourth mm -hmm. after that series. So I, I get it that Boston has a really good defensive scheme, really good defensive players. But uh, do you think their their offense can keep the pace with the Nuggets? I, it, it comes down to there. There are other ways that they can score and their rim pressure is better with RW3 on the court. And I think what's big and you know, if you've seen them at all during the playoffs, they don't go to it nearly enough. They've gone to it more. It feels like over the past couple of games, the Jason Tatum RW three pick and roll will bust up like any defensive coverage that Miami's thrown at them, but certainly for Denver, 
when it comes down to for Boston, Denver's offense is so much more creative. It's very, if whether you're a defender or a bystander watching the game, it is harder to track because of all the different things that are happening. Um, but Boston will take, and we've seen it, they will take over 43 point attempts per game. And there are going to be nights where they might make 17 of those, 18 of those, whatever it is. And that's their path to beating basically anyone. I'm not saying it's the only thing they do, but part of what makes them so inconsistent is also what makes them so tantalizing because they can, I think over the last two games, they've outscored the Heat by 51 points or 54 points from three. And so it's like, they can have those, like those runs. And so I just like, could they keep pace? Yes. But as we've talked about, there's more inconsistency to their offense to where, you know, different guys will step up where if you're having a bad Tatum game or a bad Jalen Brown game, like, yeah, that's not the greatest harbinger, but there's just so more that the word we keep using with Denver is, is a steadiness. Uh, there's the peak of their offense has proven to me, statistically, if we're going to be honest, it's proven way more sustainable than Boston's because there's just a the variability caked into the way they do things. And I don't know what the best way to quantify it is for them. Once they start missing threes, that makes their defense get harder to get set. But it also feels like when their threes aren't hitting or if they're forced to go a little bit later into the shot clock, you're always, they go through these stretches where it's, well, we didn't even try and get the ball below the free throw line like at all during that 19 second possession. Oh, and we're just committing. It's not, oh, they forced us into turnovers. And look, Denver's not looking to force those at a high rate, but they might come up with them because, oh, it's Boston just threw another bad pass or Jalen Brown dribbled the ball off his foot. And they, they have that self-destruct button. And I'm not saying I know a lot of people like to focus on character and they're, they're too soft. I really just think it's the way that they're built a little bit where they don't have a, a floor general. Jalen Brown, good passer, improved a lot. Marcus Smart, that's fine. As your primaries, I don't know. To me, I look at them as having a bunch of really good to great secondaries, but they don't have the, you know, people want to see them go get Dame or Trey Young. It's more like, if Mike Conley was on this team and you've used it, you've called them the adults or the grownups. Do you have an adult in the room who can organize your offense when it's going through those slogs in the half court specifically? And so, yes, can they keep up with Denver's offense? Their three point shot making ability makes it possible the way that they play and the way that we've seen them regress at in real time. And it's just like, you can't even predict it. It's, you know, they might come back and win this series, which is something no one's ever done. But there's there's an unpredictability in a very unsettling way because of how they run their offense that, no, I would not predict that they can keep pace with Denver's offense, at least not enough over the course of a seven-game series to ultimately win that seven-game series. Okay, that's a great segue. Time, It's time for our official predictions. Some, it's time for us to, you know, put in stone something for the uh, internet eternity. So... What are your predictions for final series in both cases, either it's Boston or Miami? Um, I think I would pick Denver in five against Miami, and I would go Denver in six versus Boston. And that's like the Boston I considered seven, but Boston's like done nothing to earn my trust that they would be able to to push it. Like their their offense just feels so untrustworthy at points. So again, they are the more threatening matchup, but. I think what's more important, if you're a Denver Nuggets fan, you can quibble about how many games I'm picking. If it's the Heat or the Celtics, like I'm going to pick the Nuggets. Like I, they're going to be, and I, I would argue that they're going to be the betting favorites anyway. And I know they're the betting favorites now to win the title, but a lot of that is okay. Boston historically had no chance, so um, that's not something I thought that we would ever be at. Where it's okay, maybe the Nuggets should have been more heavily factored in the title contender or title favorite discussion, but did we ever think we'd get to a point where they're they're sitting at home for like however many days it ends up being during this layover. And it's no matter who you face, you're just going to be the heavy favorite against. And I, I, I think you could make a case that Boston can beat them. It, it would still just feel pretty flimsy, even when you're making your strongest case to me. This is awesome because I have the same exact predictions. So, yeah, Nuggets in five against Miami, and that one is only because of Coach Spo. I think Miami is just an inferior if, team. And I'm sorry against. to interrupt, but if Miami won or pushed it to seven, we have to start talking about what type of extraterrestrial stuff <laughs> is going on in that locker room because sure. that's a team that was so mediocre, painfully mediocre during the regular season. If they come in and win the title or get to a game seven in the finals, there is 
I don't want to, I coach Bo is great. We'll look at the numbers. You cannot convince me that there will be a rational, calculable reason other than this is alien stuff that is happening right now. That, that would yeah. be the only, that's the only explanation I'll accept. That wouldn't be only Coach Poe. There, there, there must have been some, some, some super, superpowers involved. Okay, and regarding Boston, yeah, I mean, if I gave five games to Miami, I need to give at least six to Boston, and I kind of agree. I don't, I don't see it going to seven because Boston is just too inconsistent to me. I mean, every team looks different in playoffs depending on the matchup. So, you know, you might see some inconsistencies from the Denver Nuggets against Boston as well. We haven't seen a lot of those in first three rounds, but yeah, anything is possible. But yeah, let's let's lock both of our uh, predictions as Denver in five and Denver in six against Miami and Boston. Okay, Dan, do you have something uh, fun to promote right now before we go on? Uh, I, I have a whole bunch of stuff coming out, so I won't go into anything specifically, but you can find my work on Bleacher Report, uh, at Dan Favalli on Twitter is the best way to find it. And if you like basketball at large or want to hear more about the general NBA from a podcast that will never take itself too seriously, uh, Hardwood Knox spelled exactly as it sounds. I strongly encourage everybody to, to go check that out. Yes. And I, and I joined that, uh, that urge. Uh, it's a really, really fun podcast okay thank you very thank you very much to everybody who stayed with us uh to the last sentence uh be great be safe be healthy be happy and go nuggets <laughs>